All right. Well, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Emmanuel Church. How you guys doing today? You need more donuts. What's wrong? Come on. <laughs> hey, listen, my name's Bill Miller. I'm the campus pastor at Banta, and I am really excited to be here. It's great to see all of you. Hope you guys are all doing excellent. And I'm excited for a couple different reasons. Number one, because I'm excited that Pastor Danny and his family get an opportunity to get away and spend some extended time with each other and with God. And then I'm also excited because today that means that we're going to be kicking off a new series. And the name, uh, the name of the series is Life First. And I, and I love the premise for this series. When we started talking about it, we were discussing that uh, over the next four weeks, myself, uh, Greg Coble, Jeff Johnson, and then Matt Randall, what we were going to be doing is we were going to be sharing with you our Life Verse. And, and for us, that just means that it is this verse that out of all the verses that we have read and that are favorites of ours, this verse is kind of like the cream that's risen to the top for us. And, and so when we think about our life, we just look at it and we say, this is the verse that's really helped to maybe guide us or steer us or has been kind of responsible for helping us become the people and the men that we are of God today. And so we look at it and the way that we would say it is just this, that this life verse for us is just this anchor uh, to God. And so what we're hoping is that as we move through this series is that if you don't have a life verse, we're hoping that maybe if you're reading the Bible, you're not reading the Bible, that what it will do is it will encourage you, uh, it'll challenge you, and even inspire you uh, to start jumping in and start looking for a verse, this life verse, that you can use also as an anchor for your soul. Well, I know this, I have seen uh, some of you, and I know that some of you already have gone on and you have this life verse, this life verse for yourself. And I know this because I've seen it on your, on your, uh, your, your social media pages, on Facebook and on Twitter, you guys have, have uh, advertised what that verse is for yourself. I also know that you guys have also made it very personal to yourself. So you guys have gone on and you've had it tattooed onto yourself. So maybe on your wrist or your forearm or maybe your upper arm, you guys are having this life verse that you show off. And I think that is awesome. I think that is absolutely great. And in fact, I would say this, if I was maybe like 30 plus years younger, I would seriously maybe possibly consider <laughs> getting a life verse tattooed on me. Uh, besides my age, there's two other things that would probably hold me back. Number one, not a big fan of needles, so that would hold me back. But the real reason for me is this. And I understand that the people who do tattoos for us, I know that they're artists, but I also know that they're human beings. So I would be worried, what, ha what would happen if, what if they coughed or they sneezed in the middle of my tattoo? <laughs> I would be stuck for the rest of my life with that smudge. Well, knowing my luck and the way it would turn out, I'm afraid that my tattoo might come out something like these. Maybe you've seen one of these. I love this guy's philosophy in life, don't you? This is the way he lives his life, with no regrets. <laughs> I'm thinking maybe he has one now. I don't know. <laughs> or maybe you've seen this one. Louvre and hate. So I'm not sure what he loves, but I'm pretty sure that the thing that he hates is like that semester of spelling he was supposed to be in. Or the next one that I'm going to share with you, I didn't even have to go very far to get this one. This is actually from somebody on our staff, and you know her. Uh, Miss, Mrs. Katie Hall is the director of our children's ministry at Greenwood. And so she was sharing with me that her life verse comes out of James chapter 1. And in James chapter 1, it just says that we're to count it all joy when we fall into different trials and circumstances. And so Katie, she just took a portion of this that counted all joy and she had it tattooed on her wrist. Well, over the years, it's kind of 
it's kind of morphed and it's kind of changed and she's had it touched up and it's wound up now looking like this. It says, grunt it all joy. <laughs> and so what's fun is when we walk by Katie's office, if you hear like these animalistic noises coming out of there, <laughs> we just go, hey, Katie's happy again. <laughs> So Katie's a great sport. I really appreciate her allowing us to share this, allowing me to embarrass and humiliate her in front of thousands of people, all for the glory of God. That's excellent. We love you, Katie. Thank you. Well, the life verse that I've chosen to share with you today, it comes out of Romans 8.28. And, you know, you're going to hear over the next weeks that all of us guys, that we've chosen these life verses for a number of different reasons. There's different motivating factors behind it. And so for me, the reason I chose Romans 8.28 is because it's been one of these verses in my life when I've looked back at my life, it's, in, it's been an encouragement to me. So if I was going to sit down with you and you asked me how you go about uh, choosing a life verse, my suggestion would be look for something that's encouraging. And so in your notes, if you're taking notes, it just says that I think a life verse should just be that. It should just be encouraging. Now, when do we need encouragement? It's obvious, isn't it? It's when we're discouraged. It's usually when the rug's been pulled out from underneath us or life has thrown us a curveball or things have come into our life and it's made it difficult or there's trials or there's difficulties and circumstances and hardships. And it's moments like this where we need somebody to come alongside us or we need to be able to find something from God that might be an encouragement to us. And here's what I know about these circumstances, that some of them are temporary and that's okay. We know we can get through those. But what I have found more times than often is that Many times, these circumstances, they are more permanent in nature. And, and these circumstances, they have, they have the, uh, the possibility, and, they, and what they do is they bring into our life is that they, they change the course of our lives. And so the life that, the, the course that we thought we were on, we find that we've gotten taken off course. We've been derailed in life. And so I know that as I look back in my life, you know, I thought I had it planned out. I had a course that was set for myself. And then I've shared my story with you guys. I think it was four years ago that I came up here and I just explained to you and I shared with you that it was later on in life that I became a Christian. And, and it was during these times where I started to discover there's four events in my life that I can look back at where I see that I needed Romans 8.28. And I became a Christian at 35, but it was only because I had completely messed up my life. And through a series of wrong choices and wrong living, what I found is, what I, uh, the situation that I found myself in is that I had been indicted by the federal government, I had been tried, I had been convicted, I had been sentenced, and so I wound up having to spend almost two years in a federal prison. And it was through that event, though, that I discovered Romans 28, and it was there for me. Well, after I got out of prison, I experienced a divorce. And it was during that time, too, that I looked back and I grabbed hold of Romans 8:28. As I continued to go through life, I thought life is going great now. I've got my life set up. And then I had an encounter with what could have been possibly a, a uh, devastating and it could have been a, a life-taking, life-changing uh, circumstance because of cancer. It was actually life-threatening. And then just when I think later on, I think I'm starting to settle into life. Life's grooving for me. I've got it going. I've got it all figured out. I experienced a business failure and a bankruptcy. And so now I'm just thinking, you know, after I finish today, as I'm walking across the parking lot to my car, if somebody would hit me in a pickup truck, that is all I need to be able to complete this country song I've been wanting to write. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> That'd be the icing on the cake. 
Well, you know, I've been on staff here now for five years, and one of my, one of my roles here is that I've been the director of biblical counseling. That has meant that I've had the opportunity to sit down with hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people, and I've got to listen to your stories. And I just got to be honest with you that when I hear some of your stories, what it does to me is it makes me think about my story and how small and insignificant some of the things that I've experienced are. Some of the things that you guys have told me have honestly just left me speechless. And some of the things have been tragic and they're horrific. And I think to myself, I don't know how in the world that somebody could get through that. And I know this, that as we go through these difficult times, it doesn't help us, does it? When another Christian comes up to us and says, hey, I heard about your struggle you're having. I've been struggling too. And in fact, I have really been in despair with God. I've been praying to God. I've been talking to God. And, and you know something, it's just really been this, this moment in my life where I'm trying to grow my relationship with God. And it's just been a difficult time. And you're like, really? That's, that's like what I'm going through. And you say, what is it? They go, well, here's what has been going on. You know what? We've been praying and fasting because we've been trying to figure out, do we want to buy the pontoon boat so we can put everybody on it and go party? Or do we get the ski boat? But then that means we got to leave a few people behind on the bank. And so we just didn't know. So praise Jesus. He came to me in a vision and he told me, get the pontoon boat and take the party on the water. And at that moment, you look at him, you go, I just want to punch you in the throat. <laughs> well, you know what? It doesn't help, does it? Because the danger and the temptation for us at those moments is this. We want to get resentful. Uh, we even get jealous, don't we? We take a look at their life and we wonder, how come your life is working out so great? And we see them on Facebook and we hear about how great they're doing. Their marriage is reconciled and they got that job promotion and their kids are doing fantastic and they were miraculously healed and yet we're left behind and we're struggling with this idea that now we're jealous, now we're resentful and we can even become angry sometimes. I've even heard where people have gone off and they have even cussed God out because of their circumstances. And you know, it's those moments like that I think that we step into and all we want from God when we realize that our circumstances aren't going to change. They're permanent. There's nothing going to ever alter that. But I think sometimes when I find myself in those moments, I just think, God, if I could just understand out of all of this thing, is there any good that can come out of this? So I think that's really what we do. In your notes, you see that that's a question I think we all ask. And that's an answer that we want. God, is there any good that can come out of this? That's why I love Romans 8.28 for me, because what I have found is this. If you're a Christian, if you're a Christ follower, here's the good news, is that Romans 8.28 gives us an answer. And all we've got to do is dig into it. And so here's what I want to do. I just want to share with you what I've discovered at those moments when I've asked God, God, what good can come out of this? I want to share with you the answers that I've learned and what he gives us. Romans 8.28 says this. It says, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. And so what I saw the first time that I read Romans 8.28, the thing that stuck out to me immediately was that little phrase that says, and we know. And so in your notes, I just realized this. It's just a statement of faith. That's what it is. The Apostle Paul is saying, hey, the thing that I'm about to share with you right after this, I don't want there to be any doubt in your mind. I want you to be absolutely 100% confident in the fact that when I tell you that all things are going to work out for your good, that you won't go, you got to be kidding me. And I love the fact that he doesn't start the letter to the Romans with Romans 8.28. That's not Romans 1.1 for a purpose and for a reason. Because 
we aren't going to buy it. And he knows we're not going to buy into that unless he has shared some truth with us and unless that he has also built a foundation so that we're in a position to be able to consider maybe this is true. And so I love it in Romans when Paul starts writing to the Romans. He starts off and he says, I want you guys to know this. There is a God who exists and he has revealed himself to every one of us. And the fact is that he loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. But here's the problem. Sin has separated us from God. But here's what God has done. He solved that and he has sent his son Jesus Christ so that if we placed our faith in him that we can have this relationship, relationship with him. That Jesus is the one who died on the cross and paid the penalty so that he could pave the way to ha- for us to have this relationship. And so he says, so the great news is, and we just sang about it, the great news is, is that then God sets us free from sin. He throws our shackles into the water and what it does, he's given us the power now to be able to live for him. And then he goes on and he says, but here's the reality. Here's what I've experienced in my life. You know the things that I don't want to do? I still do that. And you know the things that I really want to do? I just don't get around to doing it. And so when we're tempted to think that those are the moments when God's going to throw us away, he's going to discard us and that he's written us off and he's done with us, Paul comes in and he says, I want you guys to know this. Here's the truth. As we move into Romans 8, he says, glory be to God, praise be to God. Because there is now, therefore, no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. In fact, it gets even better. He says, the fact is that that God has placed his spirit inside of us so that now when we think about God, we have this relationship with him. He says, here's how I want you to view him, that from now on, that you call him Abba, Father. And that word Abba just means this. It's, It's kind of this picture of maybe a small child who crawls up into the lap of their father, wraps their arms around his neck and just stares into their eyes and tells them that they love him. And it has this idea that this is this close relationship that Paul doesn't want us to think that God is this distant, unapproachable God. But in the middle of all of this, that we have a God that wants to have and for us to enjoy this intimate relationship with him. And so that's why when he goes on and he shares the rest of it, he says, you have to be settled on this. You have to have this buried into your heart, that this is a statement of faith and confidence, that you'll know this, that what's coming next is just going to be a, now a promise with a purpose. That what he's going to share with us next is this promise with a purpose. And what he says is this, I want you to know, That the promise is that no matter what God has allowed to come into your life, no matter what you're experiencing right now, I want you to know that God is able to take these things and they're going to work them and maneuver them in a way that's going to work out for your good. And what he's got in mind then at the end of this is that there's a purpose. There's a purpose in all of the things that God has allowed to come into our lives. And I think that's probably one of the questions that we have, isn't it? We just ask this question. In fact, the whole world asks this question. Well, God, what is the purpose of my life? What do you want me to do? Why am I here? And I think that it's interesting that people, they search for that answer in so many different ways. Some people, they they go off into the woods, into the nature, and they spend that time in the trees and with 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 the rivers and with the animals, and they're hoping that somehow through that experience that God is going to divinely reveal to them his purpose for them. Or, or some people will take some time, they'll take months and they'll hike up into the Himalayas and they'll spend some time with somebody up there with the monks and what they'll do is they'll contemplate and focus just on their belly button full of Lent and they're thinking that somehow, somehow, they're going to have some divine spiritual revelation happens at that moment. 
And I think the Apostle Paul, knowing that that is our tendency, what he did is he says, hey, I don't want you guys chasing after all of these things. I don't want you guys to be in the dark and be in the fog about what God is doing in your life, what his purpose is for you. In fact, I'm going to go on and I'm going to tell you in the next verse. I'm going to share, you, so all you, share it with you. So all you got to do is just go on and keep reading. So in Romans 8.29, here's what he says. He says, here's what God's purpose is. He says, for those God foreknew, he also predestined. That just means that God knew he was going to have a relationship with us. And God, when he predestined something, that just means he has predetermined in advance that it is his goal and that there's nothing at all that's going to stand in the way between God doing this next thing. And he says, here's what God's purpose in our life is. It's so that we can be conformed to the image of his son. And so when I read that, I thought, so God, here's what you're up to in my life. All the things that you've allowed, all these difficult, these difficult um, circumstances that I've encountered, all of these things that we have to go through, you're telling me that you're going to work this out for my good, and the good that you're bringing about, this purpose that you've, you've designed in my life, is solely and only to help me become like Christ. And I realized what God's focusing on, what God looks at, is that God's purpose in our life is always to change our character. That's what God's interested in. He wants to change our character. And so that's why he can say when he looks back at the things he's allowed to come into our life, he's saying, I'm helping you to become more like Jesus Christ. And, the, and what I have found in my life is that as hard as that is to accept, as hard as that is to swallow sometimes, I've realized in my life that when I've been in those deep waters and those difficult times and I needed to anchor my soul to God, what I have discovered is that that is the time when I've looked to God and I've said, okay, God, what are you trying to do in my life? And everything else in life becomes dim. It doesn't become as important. And I start to focus and say, so what is it, God, that you're trying to reveal to me in my life? What is it in my heart that needs to be changed that will only be revealed through these circumstances that are going to help me to become more like Christ? And as I read that and I look at that and I studied Romans 8, 28 and 29 and I thought about that, I realized, okay, God, this looks great in theory. It looks good on paper, and it, doesn't say, and it sounds like one of those stock verses that somebody throws at you, but for me, as I was reading through the Bible, I thought, okay, God, but can you show me how this is practical? Has this ever worked out in somebody else's life, going through situations and circumstances that are hard? And if you can just show me, give me an example, maybe of somebody who did it really well, or maybe somebody who was a monumental failure. I can learn from that. And so what's interesting is I, knew, as a new believer, I open my Bible and I start studying and I'm looking and I'm reading them. Here's what I found out, is that the men and women that were written about in the Old Testament and the men and women that were written about and give us the details of the life of Jesus, and then those afterwards that go on and they launch the, new, the first churches and they're starting the church and they're getting things going and they're going out and spreading the gospel, here's what I found out, that what they experienced is completely opposite to what this Western philosophy is that we have in our lives. That if we come in here and we raise our hand and we say the prayer and we go get a Bible and we jump in the starting point, that somehow that makes us, makes us exempt from all of these difficulties and trials that God's bringing in and allowing to come into our life. So here's what I discovered. I found this, that the men and, the women, men and women in the Bible, that they were no strangers to adversity. In fact, that was almost the norm for them. They expected it. And the things that they experienced that would have turned me away and caused me to say, I, don't, I didn't sign up for this and I would have walked away, what it seemed to do with them, it seemed to fire them up. 
It seemed like the more things that they encountered that were difficult and hard, it seemed that they got more pumped up, they got more motivated, they were more determined than ever that nothing at all was going to set, was going to turn them away and they were going to keep moving forward. And I want to share with you, I think one of the best examples that I have found of that person who lived that out was the Apostle Paul. And you guys know the story of the Apostle Paul, you know, before he used to be Saul of Tarsus and it says that he loved God, but he hated Christians. And so if you're here today and you're not sure about this whole church thing and God thing and you're not really sure about, you know, how you feel about Christians and what's going on. In fact, you're not really, in fact, you probably just say, you know, I, I really don't like Christians. In fact, I really, I actually hate Christians. Here's the thing. You would get right along, you would get along perfectly well with the Apostle Paul because he hated Christians. And if you've ever known a Christian that you think should be arrested, maybe you're sitting next to one right now. The Apostle Paul, that's what he did. He arrested him. And then he would, he would pull him out. He would persecute him. He was even, uh, he was even present when uh, they were stoned, when they lost their lives. Well, we know the story that the Apostle Paul, he had an encounter with Jesus Christ, and it radically changed his life. And so what it did instead now, the Apostle Paul being a leader... Instead now of going and hating Christians, now he's on fire, and he's on that team, and he's going, I'm going to go, and I'm going to take off on missionary journeys, God, and I'm going to preach the gospel, and I'm going to do everything I can now to further your kingdom. And here's what's interesting, is that as I read about the Apostle Paul's life, I would think, wow, if there was anybody, if there was anybody at all that would have been exempt from troubles and problems, with all the work that he's doing, it would have been him. But in 2 Corinthians, he shares with us what his experience is now after becoming a Christian. And what he says is this. He says, I've been beaten and I have been locked up so many times, I can't even keep track of it. But I know for sure, I know for sure that at least five times the Jewish authorities, that they arrested me. And I know that they whipped me 40 times minus one so to make sure that I wasn't going to die. So they whipped me within an inch of my life. I know that at least three times that the Roman authorities, they arrested me and they beat me with rods. And even when I started my ministry and I'm thinking I'm all gung-ho, a crowd rushed me and they grabbed me and threw me into a ditch and then they stoned me. And having thought that I was dead, they walked off and left me. And he says, not only that, I've also, every day I've been hungry, I've been thirsty, I've been tired, I've been, I've been in fear of my life. And then when I wake up each day, I also had the additional problems of having to worry about the churches that I've started and I'm going to start. And there's none, and through all of that, none of those things seem like they pushed on the Apostle Paul, tempted him or caused him to even think about turning his back on this ministry he had and walk away. Except, I think, maybe this one event that he experienced in his life. And what I want to do is I want to walk through and share that event because it's it's helped me get some insight from the example that I see from the Apostle Paul when he's handled one of those moments in his life when I believe he looked up and he said, God, what good can come out of this? So in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, it says this. The Apostle Paul said, therefore, in order, and so there's a purpose statement here, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given... Well, what's interesting is that word given, it just means that it would be the word we would use if I was going to give a gift to you. And so when I think about my wife, Andrea, either for her birthday or for uh, Christmas or, her, or our, 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 excuse me, our anniversary, here's what I would do. I would go out 
And I would look and I would handpick. I would be intentional about the gift that I'm going to choose for her. And so the Apostle Paul is saying, hey, listen, this gift that God gave me was handpicked. It was hand-designed by him with a purpose in mind. What was that purpose? It says that it was to keep him from becoming conceited. In other words, it's keeping him from becoming full of pride. And I think the danger and the temptation for Paul was, you know what, God, I'm going out and I'm doing all of these things. Look at me, guys. I'm the super apostle. Look at how many churches I've started. Look at how many people have come to Christ because of me. Look at all of these things that I'm doing. And so, yes, God, don't worry about me. If anybody was ever on track with you, that's me. And God looked down and he said, wait a second, wait a second. Here's the danger. Here's the danger. Ah, the danger is that you're going to get derailed. Because I'm looking down the road and I see that the temptation for you is to become full of pride, to be puffed up. And so, in order to keep you from becoming unchristlike, and I want to maintain you being like Christ, I'm going to give you a gift. Well, what was the gift? A thorn in my flesh a messenger of Satan to torment me. So God gave the Apostle Paul a teenager? <laughs> Not one of our teenagers here from Greenwood. It's from another church is what I'm talking about. You know, what we find out is that the thorn he's talking about back then weren't like the little rose thorns. They were like two and three inch thorns. And this thing, the way, whatever it was that he described, he said, this thing is, causes me to be in pain every day when I wake up, when I go through the day, when I go to bed at night, this thing is a constant reminder for me. So it's painful and it's constant. And for 2,000 years, you know, uh, biblical scholars have been trying to speculate as to what this thing is that the Apostle Paul, that he suffered with. What was this thorn in his side? Some scholars have said that they thought that maybe it was his eyesight was failing him. Or some people have said that they thought maybe it was he was having migraines or that he had epilepsy or maybe arthritis. And I think that now that I'm in my 60s, I think the Apostle Paul was suffering from a weak bladder. <laughs> I think that would be all it would take. Well, here's what's interesting. God was intentional about not letting us know what that was. And the reason for that, I believe, is because if we knew what it was, then what we could do is we would just take a look and say, okay, only if we have this thing that this, the rest of this is going to apply to us. I think God on purpose left it vague for us so that today I can say whatever it is, that whatever that thorn is in your side, whatever the thing is that you're struggling with and you're dealing with, these circumstances, these trials and adversities that have come into your life, whatever that thorn happens to be, then what we can do is we can take that and we can plug it in to that blank. And so then we can take a look and we can see how did the Apostle Paul handle this? What did he do with this thorn? Well, the thing that the Apostle Paul did is he prayed. He just simply prayed. And I think what's interesting is that for me, that is not always my default. That's not always my first thing that I do. When I find myself in difficulties, I sometimes think, okay, God, maybe I can just put some moves on this thing. Maybe I can try to work this thing out. Maybe I've got some resources or some connections, and I'm going to work my way through. I don't want to bother you with this. But the first thing that the Apostle Paul did, I believe, is he went and he prayed. And here's what it says about the way that he prayed. The next verse says this. It says, three times, he says, I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. 
Three times the Apostle Paul went before God, and that word pleaded just means he had this impassioned cry. He had this emotional, emotional cry out to God that he was saying, God, I need you to do this for me. I don't think it was like Monday morning, Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, where he went to the, went to the breakfast table and he said, okay, God, I just want to do this. Hey, I want to just thank you for the coffee that you've given me today. That's delicious. Hey, thanks for the pita bread. Thanks for the hummus. I got a long day in front of me. I need carbs. Thanks for the blue sky. This is awesome. I think instead what the Apostle Paul did is he went before God and he had that moment where he said, God, this thing's killing me. I don't even know how I'm going to be able to continue to do ministry for you anymore. And God, this thing plagues me through the entire day and through my, through my sleep. It wakes me up. And God, I need you to step in. God, I need you to do something with this. And then I think that he left, he, left, he left some space there. He gave some time for God to do something. Maybe he'll bring a, a doctor to him. Maybe he'll find a cure. Maybe there'll be a miracle healing. And I think some time goes by. And then the Apostle Paul comes back to God again. Same plea, same prayer, same desire. And I think he gives it some more time. Then the third time that the Apostle Paul comes back to God... I think it's probably one of these moments like maybe you've experienced or that I have. When you're in the middle of this situation that is killing you, it's this moment where I've fallen down on the carpet and stretched my arms out to God, and I've cried to him, tears running down my cheek, pleading with God, begging him to please God. I am desperate for you. Would you change this circumstance? God, I don't see how this is going to work out for my good. Could you change the outcome of this thing that I'm experiencing? And I honestly believe that's what the Apostle Paul did. And maybe he even pulled his Apostle card. Hey, God, by the way, in case you haven't noticed, look how many churches I've started. Look how many people I've, have come to you because of me. Look at how many beatings that I've taken because of you. Look how much hunger and thirst I've gone through. God, I don't want to pull that, but maybe, God, you would consider that. And I think even for us, that's that temptation when we think, God, if you really love us, don't you take a look and see all the things that we've done. We come to church, we give money, we're in small groups, we serve here. All of these things, God, I need you. If you ever were going to come through for me, I need you to come through right now. Well, it's those moments when we desperately need that answer from God, don't we? And we're going to read the answer that the Apostle Paul received from God. No. 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 He said, Paul, my answer is no. It's the same answer I've received. It's the same answer many of you have received. But he said it's no with a promise and a purpose. He said, Paul, I've got something else for you instead that's much better. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Paul, I want you to come to the point in your life where you understand that the grace, this is sufficient, just, this, just the right amount of grace that I have in store for you, I want you to come to the point and recognize that if you had all of the resources of, of the entire world at your disposal, if you had the abundance of doctors and money and cures and all of those things that the entire abundance and the totality of the world doesn't even begin to compare to my just enough. And when you experience that, you understand that my power is being made perfect in your weakness. Paul, my glory is going to bounce off of you. Well, if you're the Apostle Paul, what are your options? If you're in the middle of a difficulty, what are your options? 
I know, I know for me, the options that I've taken in the past have been this. I've, when I've got that no, I've gone and I've sat down and I said, okay, God, I guess you don't love me. I guess, God, you've forgotten about me. I guess you've just kind of thrown me away. And so I'll cross my legs, I'll fold my arms, I'll stick my bottom lip out, and I've pouted. And I've said, God, I don't even want to serve anybody. I don't want to be involved in anybody else's life. I don't want to be used by you. Can't you see? I've got enough things going on here right now with my own thing. And the temptation is not only that, I think that we're also tempted to take it a step further many times, that we may even say, you know what, God, I'll teach you a lesson. I'm going to go ahead and step into that relationship anyway that I know that's wrong. God, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to stop at the bar and I'm going to start drinking anyway. And God, I'm going to start taking pills just to try to numb and make the pain disappear because I really don't care. And what I have found is that when we take those options, that all it does for us is it compounds the difficulties and the hardships that we already find ourselves in. And so the Apostle Paul, what did he do? What were his options? Here's what he did. He said, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. Why? So that Christ's power may rest on me. See, the Apostle Paul said, hey, here's what I'm going to do from, right, from now on. I'm no longer going to shrink back. I'm no longer going to hide. I'm no longer going to be ashamed or humiliated in the circumstances I find. I don't care that fact that you guys have been saying to me behind my back, hey, you know, have you heard about the Apostle Paul? Evidently, God doesn't like him, or evidently, there must be sin in his life, or evidently, he doesn't have enough faith. And I want to tell you, if anybody has ever told you any of those things and you think that the, answer, the reason you've gotten an answer is because you have not, you've gotten an answer that says no is because you've not had enough faith. Listen, the Apostle Paul, he has more faith and had more faith than all of us in this room put together and yet God still told him no. And so it's that, it's that time when we can come back and we realize that what did the Apostle Paul do? He stepped forward and he said, I'm going to boast about it now. I'm going to step forward and say, yeah, what you heard about it is right, but here's what's happening. It's going to show off God's power through my life. And so what happened with the Apostle Paul? His circumstances didn't change, did it? But we see that his attitude starts to change because he said, I'm going to start to gladly step up and make an example of myself. And so as I read through this, I realized that what changed with the Apostle Paul was his perspective. He started to look at his life now, not from here, but he could see himself from God's viewpoint. And when he did that, here's what he was able to do. He says next, that is why. Why? Because his perspective has changed. Something's different about it now. He says, that is why, because my perspective has changed for Christ's sake. Oh, I forgot. This isn't all about me. I've been so caught up and so wrapped up in what I'm going through that I thought this was about me, God. No, for Christ's sakes, here's what I do. From now on, I'm going to delight in weaknesses not just this weakness but i'm going to delight in all of the future weaknesses that come my way because this probably isn't going to be the final one and i'm going to also be delighting in insults when you want to insult me i'm going to delight in hardships when i find myself in persecutions and in difficulties you know what i'm going to do i am going to delight in it because when that takes place i realize this when i am weak then i understand that i am strong and as I've looked at this, as I've thought about this, I realized that what God wants to do is this, that our perspective must change when our circumstances don't. Our perspective must change when our circumstances don't. And this is why Romans 8.28 has been such an anchor for me in my life. 
Because when I look back and I understand, I think, God, these circumstances haven't changed for me. God, what is good is coming out of this? God, what are you doing in my life? What it has done is helped me to look at my life from God's perspective. I'm able to see things through a different lens. And when I do, what it has helped me to understand is that in God's economy of doing things, and the way that he runs his universe, and the way that he manages my life and your life, here's what he's interested in. He's interested in our character. And so if I were to sum up Romans 8, 28, I would say this, that here's what it's after. Character always trumps circumstances. Character always trumps our circumstances. You guys probably thought maybe Dallas Willard said this. Maybe C.S. Lewis. Well, I know the person that said this, and they aren't as bright, they aren't as deep, they certainly aren't as wise. In fact, they're very, very simple-minded. The person who said this is actually... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I knew that the only way I was ever going to get quoted from this platform is if I did it myself, and so... <laughs> so I figured Danny's gone, I saw the opportunity, and I took it, so... You know, this is hard, isn't it? It doesn't come natural. It goes against every instinct that we have. And I just say that if you're here today and you're in a circumstance and life is difficult and you believe that God is powerful and he's sovereign and that he could change your circumstances, but he's chosen not to, then you have the option to do this, to consider that the thorn that you're going through, this circumstances that you're struggling with, this trial and this adversity is a gift from a loving Heavenly Father with a promise and a purpose. When I look back over my life and I see the direction that I wanted to go and the plans that I had for myself, and then I see how my life was changed, my life was altered, the course was thrown off and gone in a different direction. And now in hindsight, when I look back, I can see that God was doing something incredible. He was doing something good in my life because I believe this. I believe that the course that God chose for me and the things that I've experienced as I look back, that I can honestly say this, that I believe with all my heart that I'm able to look more like Christ today than if life had turned out any other way for me. And so, for you, perhaps, maybe not today, but maybe down the road, that perspective will change for you so that you can look back and say, you know, the time in my life when I became the closest to God, when I understood Him the most, when I anchored my soul to him, it was only during that time when I was in that storm and that difficulty. And so I just hope this, that maybe Romans 8.28, if you're in the middle of a difficulty right now and you're struggling, that maybe Romans 8.28, maybe that will become perhaps your life verse, and it will help you to explain and to make sense of the difficulties and the trials and the things that have come into your life. And if that's not the one, I hope maybe it will inspire you and encourage you to start looking into the Bible to find that verse that you can personalize that will help to anchor your soul. 
You know, maybe you're here today and you picked up and you heard and you're asking, hey, Bill, you said that Romans 8.28 is a promise for those who love God. I don't even know what that means. I am so far from God. But yet, I find myself here today And if you knew all of the difficulties and the struggles and the the turmoil and the things that I'm going through, I'm desperate. And I'm just wondering, is there a promise for me? The night before Jesus went to his crucifixion, it's recorded that he invited his disciples to step into a garden with him. And Jesus, knowing that, in just a few short hours, he was going to be arrested. He was going to be falsely charged. He was going to be beaten. He was going to be whipped and flogged. He would be made to walk across up a hill where he would be nailed to this cross. And he knew that for that six-hour period of time, he would hang on that cross in an agonizing and die a humiliating death so that he could take on the sins of the world for you and I. And knowing that that was what was in front of him, Jesus, it's recorded in Luke's, he did this. It says that he withdrew about a a stone's throw beyond them, his disciples. He knelt down and he prayed. He said, Father, Father, Abba, Father, It's me, your son, that you love. We've had this relationship from all of eternity past. And Father, I'm asking if if you are willing, would you take this cup from me? Yet not my will, but yours be done. In the book of Matthew, it's recorded that Jesus did this not once, not twice, but three times. He went, to, he went before his father and he asked them this. He pleaded with him. And God the Father looked down and he gave the same answer to his son that he gave to Paul, that he's given to me, and that maybe he's given to you. No. 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 But comes with a promise and with a purpose. Romans 8.29 says that he would go first. He would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. That he would lead the way. And the promise is this. That this morning, if you're sitting here and you've never stepped into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and you don't know what that means, here's what it is. And John 3.16 very simply says this. It says that, For God so loved you, and you, and you, and you, that he said no to his son, not once, not twice, but three times. Why? So that you might believe that you wouldn't perish and that you could experience 
and have this free gift called eternal life. And so today, I'm just going to invite you right now. If you've never stepped into that relationship with, with Jesus Christ, it's so simple. It's so easy. All you do is you just come before him, and from your heart, you just say, I'm ready to take that step. And it's done through faith, and we do it through prayer. And so right now, I'm just going to ask everyone, if you would just please bow your heads, and would you close your eyes? And today, if you're ready to take that step, bring all this junk that you've brought into here with you and set it before God. Quietly, from your heart, this intimate moment between you and God, would you just repeat this prayer with me? Would you say, dear God, I realize today that my sin has separated me from you. But today, I come before you and I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And today, I place my faith in Jesus Christ. And God, I bring my life, I bring my struggles and all of my circumstances and I lay him before you. And God, then I pray that you would answer that question, what good can come out of this? And that I would take that step to become like Christ today. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, if you just prayed that prayer, we are excited for you. Man, I am so pumped up. And here's what we would love to do. The Bible says that in the presence of angels right now, that there is a celebration that has taken place. And so we really are, we are excited for what God's doing in your life. And here's what we would love to do. We want to put a gift in your hand. This is the one-year New Testament, and I think this is a great way for you to start your relationship with God. You start reading through here, and what I'm hoping to do is you do that, that you're going to be able to find and land on a verse that's going to be this life verse for you, this verse that's going to help to anchor your soul. And so as you leave today, if you would do this, at the back of our auditoriums on each side, we have some team members, and they want to place one of these in your hand. They're going to explain to you how to use this. And then if you've been going through difficulties or struggles, feel free to go ahead and just share that story with them so that they can go ahead and they can take note of that. We'll be able to pray for you. We would love to even be able to sit down with you and encourage you as you're going through these difficult times in your life. And then for everybody else, I'm just hoping that as we go through this series, Again, if you don't have that life verse, that one that you can land on, that one that's going to take you through difficult times, whatever it might be, the one that's going to help to define who you are in your relationship with God, I'm hoping that you'll go ahead and you'll be motivated and encouraged to go ahead and find that verse for yourself. Let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that you give us in Romans 8:28. We thank you for the example of the Apostle Paul. And Father, we just pray that if there's anybody here today that's in that deep water, that's in that moment, that's, that they're looking up to you and they're asking what good can come from this, that God, today they'll be encouraged. And that today, God, that they'll focus on you and God, you'll help to change their perspective and that they will experience your grace and your power and your strength. God, we love you. We thank you for what you do for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, you guys, thank you so much for being here today. Be here next week. It's going to be fantastic. See ya.